0: Log Talk Radio.
1: I am your host, Paul Gannon. For the next 90 minutes, we're going to be talking sports and having fun doing it. With all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you'll have a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. Hit us up on Twitter at GoForItGannon, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Hit us up. On our Facebook page, like us on Facebook at facebookcom go it get. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Brooklyn Nets guard Sean Kilpatrick. And Sean had an interesting journey to Brooklyn. Went through the D League, went through Minnesota, went through Denver, and ultimately landed in Brooklyn and and played good in Brook, played very well in Brooklyn, and, and ultimately signed a two-year deal with the Nets. So he has a level of stability. So he's earned a spot within net. So we're going to be talking to him about that and get his take on the NBA Finals. Also, John Kling, rookie for the Chicago Bears, offensive tackle, will be joining us. We're going to talk to him about OTAs with the Chicago Bears. And also, Ryder University assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill will be joining us to get his take on the NBA Finals. And let's start with the NBA Finals, and last night, you know, you you had a situation where if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers after last night, you got to be almost kicking yourself because you had an opportunity, an opportunity in my mind, especially with the way Klay Thompson played, especially with the way Steph Curry played. I mean, those guys really didn't have their A game, probably didn't even have their B game, may have had their C game last night, and you couldn't take advantage of them playing their C game, you're not going to have, you might not get another C game out of Curry and uh, Thompson. And look, you look at the guys, 8 for 27 from the field, combined 8 for 27, a combined 20 points. You talk about if you get that type of production, limited production from those guys, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, you're probably going to win this game. You, you got to be feeling good about yourself if, in fact, those two shoot shots, I mean, if you get Curry, he only made three threes, and, and Thompson only made one. They were four for 13 from downtown. So you talk about dudes who've hit a whole bunch of threes in these playoffs. You talk about dudes who've hit a whole bunch of threes throughout the course of this season. And, and so you had an opportunity in Cleveland last night where, again, you limited those guys, and those guys didn't get off. But what happened is you didn't play well against the other guys, and I didn't think the, the Cavalier defense was that good last night. Too many open looks, too many free runs to the basket. It just was not a good situation with Cavaliers. I mean, you got Andrew Bogut scores 10. He's been pretty much non-existent on the offensive end throughout the course of these playoffs. I mean, Harrison Barnes gives you 13, had a great start. Draymond Green woke up a little bit, had 16 last night. And then, you know, you got Sean Livingston, who led the team with 20 points, 8 for 10 from the field. And then you got Iguodala doing things on the defensive end, stripping people left and right, doing big things on the defensive end, playing lockdown-type defense, and, you know, making LeBron work for his points. Iguodala, who was the finals MVP a year ago, he played well. So all these guys, the, the, the role the role guys, the role players, guys not named Curry, guys not named Thompson stepped up last night. Those guys are the reason the Golden State Warriors were up one nothing. And so you look at what happened last night, and, and the thing was, you know, Golden State – in that third quarter, there, Cleveland made that run. Ultimately, they took the lead, took a one point lead. And from there, Golden State just took it over. Their bench just took it over. And when you get outscored, what, 45 to 10 by the bench? I mean, 45 points from your bench. If you can get 45 points from your bench, you're doing good. I mean, you're doing very, very good. When you're getting that kind of production, on the bench. Forty five to ten. The Golden State Bench outscored the Cavalier bench. Forty five to ten. Whoa! That's that's huge. And that's production from your bench. That helps. And, and we could talk about Steph. We could talk about Clay. We could talk about the Splash Brothers. But last night was about the role players. Last night was about everybody out. Everybody else, and and if you you look at it, reality is, Steph Curry didn't even win the MVP Finals MVP last year, a role player, and Andre Iguodala did. Now you can argue Iguodala a uh, uh, All Star at one point in his career, uh, a guy who led a team to the playoffs, uh, helped the Sixers win around in the playoffs a few years back. I mean, he's not, Andre Iguodala is not a bum. He can play. He can play a little bit, but his his the, the role that he has with the Golden State Warriors at this point in his career is perfect. I mean, it, it, it's the perfect role for Andre Iguodala. You're not asking him to score a whole bunch. You're not. You're asking him to defend, score a little bit, hit some open shots, and that's it. Defend hit your open shots, and that's it. And that's what he did last night, just stripping guys. I mean, he's he's the master of that. He really is. I mean, we've seen it a few times against Westbrook and Durant during the playoffs, during that tough series, and then we've seen it, obviously, last night. And then you just look at LeBron James, LeBron James, Messed around and almost had a triple-double. But if you watch the game and you look at LeBron's line, you're saying, okay, the line looks good. But if you watch the game, you weren't, you you, you didn't think at any point in time LeBron was dominating the game. 23-12-9 would make you think that LeBron had a level of domination in that game, and it wasn't. He really couldn't hit any of his jump shots. He had a tough time hitting jump shots. Um, you know they were they were forcing him into some offensive fouls. I mean he he struggled. In my mind, he, he, to me, he struggled a little bit. I, I, and again, nine for twenty one, almost fifty percent. You're talking about what forty something percent. That's not bad. You know you you talk about twelve rebounds. That's good. Nine assists. Even better. But you talk about, at the end of the day, did he really have a big-time impact on the game? No. And, and you just look at this team, Cavaliers last night, and I, I had a problem with their defense. I mean, I didn't really like their defense last night. Again, too many open shots. Too many open shots. And so you give up those those kind of open shots, you, you, you know, and just too many open shots, too many too many easy shots from the Golden State Warriors. Just too much of that from from the Cavaliers. I didn't like their defense. I didn't like their defense. I didn't like their offensive flow last night. Didn't really have much of a flow. Give credit to that Golden State defense last night, but the offense of of the Cavaliers didn't have much flow last night. They just I don't know. I mean, it just was it was not their best performance, obviously. But it, it, it could have been a game and an opportunity for them to really win. I mean, because it's, it's very tough to win at Oracle Arena, obviously. But there was an opportunity last night when their two best players on the Golden State Warriors were were not on their game. I mean, Clay Thompson won game six and, and stepped to his thing in game seven against OKC. Last night. They did nothing. But the reality, but here's the thing: they didn't really do much. But in the end, when the Cavaliers were making a little bit of run, they hit two dagger threes. Clay hit one, Steph hit one, and it was ball game. But the Cavaliers, I think they got to be shaking their head a little bit after last night because there was an opportunity there to steal one in Oracle, and they didn't get it done. I don't know if you're going if, if Steph Curry and Clay Thompson again ever in life will go eight for 27. I don't know if that's going to ever happen again, at least not in these playoffs, probably not for a long time. I mean, I don't know if that's going to happen again. So you needed to take advantage of that. We're going to bring in now, we're going to continue our NBA Finals talk. We're going to bring in now Ryder University assistant basketball coach, Marlon Gill. Marlon. Paul, what's up, man? How are
2: you? I'm doing good. Can't complain. Got in a little bit of golf today, so I'm good. How about yourself?
1: Oh, not too bad. Life is life is good for you, man. All season, you got some golf working. You do, you're doing good. You're doing it.
2: Oh, trust me. I, I I yelled a lot of four today, man. So I don't know about
0: that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's get down to some NBA finals talk now. Last night, I mean, I, I talked about it. To me, it was a golden opportunity for, for the Cavaliers to win game one. Steph was off. play was off. But they let the bench guys beat them. They let the role players beat them, which happens. It happens, for, you know, when you have role players at home. They're more accustomed. They're, they're more comfortable at home. They play better at home. But what's your thoughts as you, as you watch game one and walking away from game one? Uh,
2: my thoughts were walking away from game one is that uh, Golden State's just on another level right now. And honestly, it, it started, I think, with four minutes to go in game six against uh, OKC. And what you're seeing now is just that uh, snowball effect of confidence and cockiness, you know. And, and that's not a bad combination when you've got guys that can back it up. I mean, you, you look at what Golden State bench guys did last night, and, uh, you know, it, it made me wonder, like, their practices must be very competitive uh, because, you know, let's be clear, they're be- the bench guys on Golden State, those guys aren't slouches. Uh, Sean Livingston was probably one of the top players in his class coming out of high school and would have been a stud at Duke had he gone there out of high school and uh, would have had a chance to be a very good player in the NBA if he didn't have that uh, knee injury uh, on the Clippers a, a few years ago. So you know we, we can't forget that. Uh, you know, Barbosa when he was on Phoenix, he was instant offense for those guys when he was True. there. So he knows how to play. Andre Iguodala, you know, I, I th- he might have led your sixes and scored when he was there. So he at once he, yeah he, he did. He did. These guys aren't bad players, man. And, you know, the thing that works for them is nobody has an ego on that team. And, and when you have a lot of selflessness in addition to talent, that's a deadly combination, man. And and we, we saw that last night. Uh, you, you know, everybody roots for one another. Uh, and when you have that, man, the sky's the limit for you. Which is, and that's what we're seeing now. And like I said, I, I believe it started from the last four minutes of that game in uh, Game Six against OKC, and it's just been uh, moving forward.
1: So let me ask you this now. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been looking at your social media. You know, you 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 have the Cavaliers in six. Are, are you changing that at this point?
2: I, I'm not going to change that. Uh, reason being, I'm gonna quote my guy here. LeBron James is the best player
1: in the world. He'll figure it out. Okay, all right. And and speaking of LeBron last night, I mean, he almost messed around and got a. Go ahead. No, no, no.
2: no I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm sorry.
1: Okay. Speaking of LeBron last night, he almost messed around and got a triple double, uh, one assist short of a triple double. But to me, he if you watch the game and didn't even look at his stat line. You would not have even known that he almost had a triple double. To me, he didn't have a lot of impact on the game. Talk about LeBron's performance. Uh, you know what?
2: I, I think, <laughs> being that he is the best player in the world, uh, you know, like you said last night, almost had a triple double, and it didn't look like he was involved that much in the game. Uh, and and one, one thing that I might do and, and you know, this this is just my my coaching stepping in and LeBron James has got to play forty eight minutes the entire series. Every game forty eight minutes. Uh you know, NBA players' bodies, man, they're different than average people's bodies. Uh in a in sense that the Cavs they've had long breaks in between each series and that's enough time for guys' bodies to Heal from injuries, things of that nature. So you've got to play him 48 minutes a game. There's no season after The season's over after the finals. Le- LeBron can rest July 1st. I look at it that way. Uh, you have to play him the entire game. Um, you know, judging off of last night, I don't know if I can play my bench guys uh, if I'm Ty Lue, i, I got to stick w- with my starters you know, guys that kept the game close. Uh, and if I do play advanced guys, maybe just play two guys, one or two guys, no, nothing uh, more than that, because it's clear this is uh, going to be a, a tough series for them if they can't make shots because of Golden State's ability to make, make shots. Uh, and, you know, you can't play the iso ball like you did last year. Clearly that didn't work. You know, you, you've got to do stuff that moves the ball and has guys moving around to make the defense work a little bit. If you don't do that, you know, they'll be in trouble.
1: We're talking to Ryder University assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill. So, Marlon, at this point, obviously the Cavaliers are down 1-0. At this point, game two is Sunday at Oracle. And you just look at what happened in game one, Stephen and Clay were off. Now we have a game number two. I don't think Steph and Clay are going to shoot like that in game number two. On some level, could the Cavaliers be in trouble? Uh, You know, I still think it's too early
2: to say that. I mean, you look at the series last year, and after game one, everybody thought that they were done. Now, clearly, you know, Kyrie got injured uh, going into that overtime. Uh, But I think it's still the same thing. When you're a team on the road, you just want to win one game in the other team's gym and Sunday still presents that opportunity for the Cavs. Uh, I think they will win game two, um, and it'll be a series again.
1: Okay. And they say, though, the series doesn't start until the road team wins. So, in your mind, the series will start after game two. And I agree with you. I think the Cavaliers win game two, and I also think ultimately they still win this series in six. But we'll see. I mean, I think the performance last night by Golden State was a little scary from the standpoint of what happened when the two main guys really didn't do much. That's a little scary from my, you know, in terms of my prediction, but I, I still think ultimately the Cavaliers win. And I think ultimately, if you look at it, sometimes when we watch the NBA playoffs, we get a little too high, a little too low after one game. And, and as we've seen throughout the course of these playoffs, you can't do that because we look at game one against the Spurs and OKC. Uh, OKC was blown up by like 40 points. And then ultimately they won that series. So, you really can't get caught up in one game, and I think ultimately the Cavs will come back and win game number two. But what, in your mind, what do they have to do to make to win game number two to make that a reality?
2: One, you gotta defend the, the three-point line. Uh, you know, it's clear if okay, if, excuse me, if Golden State can hit 14 or 15 threes, they're gonna be hard to beat. So you've got to guard the three-point line. And then your one-on-one defense has to be good as well, you know, for as great as, you know, Steph Curry is with the basketball. I I think there are more guys on Cleveland that can defend him one-on-one and keep him in front of you and and limit him from getting into the paint where he loves that little floater or can drive and kick to other guys. So, think for the Cavs it all, start up on the defensive end, and then offensively you got to be able to move the ball. You, you know, you, you can't play pick-and-roll games with LeBron and, and or ball-screen action games with LeBron where he has ISOs and then he's able to see the whole floor, because then it allows the Warriors' defense to uh, to set up, and you know, for as good as they are on the offensive end, Golden State is just as good on, on the defensive end with help defense, sure. rotating, and, and things of that nature, so you know, that's where I think it'll have to start for Cleveland. You know, defend the three-point line, can't play iso ball. You got to move the ball and see where it takes you from there. Everything that they did in the series against the Raptors and the games that they won, they went
1: away from that last night. I thought, and it showed. You know, didn't have many assists last night, and and it just like you, it just seemed like the offense, it just didn't have much flow. It just was a little out of sync last night. But again. It's only one game. We're talking to Ryder University assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill. Let, let's let's go back now to, to the last series, OKC, Golden State. I mean, OKC up three games to one. Ultimately, we all know what happened. They fell apart at the end there in game six. And in game seven, Steph Curry, you know, was the closer in that particular game, closed it out for the, for Golden State. And just looking back on that series, first and foremost, Talk about OKC, talk about the breakdowns, talk about the debacle, talk about it.
2: Well, I'll say this, man, and I'm still going to stick to this. OKC was the better team, up to two, from a talent standpoint, top to bottom. uh, OKC was the better team. Now, we've seen you can have the best talent, you don't have the best team. And what I mean by that, when Tom got... Times got rough. Everybody on OKC went the other way. Guys bickering at one another, you know, uh, hissing of the teeth and and things of that nature. And, you know, just from a mental standpoint, I I don't think OKC had the mental toughness to get over those laps. Uh, You know, there was one play in, in game six where Durant turns over the ball and, you know, clearly he's frustrated, but Gets back in transition, but what's the one thing that Golden State does in transition? They shoot threes, which is a, a little unusual, because more times than not, when, when you're working on transition defense, you're told to protect the basket before anything else. Well, Golden State's the total opposite of that. You know, they sprint to the three-point line rather than sprinting to the basket. And, you know, just mental lapses like that of Durant not knowing where Steph Curry was and Dollar drives and kicks it out to Curry for a three. Things like that, you know, it was too many situations like that where OKC would just have those moments. Uh, you know, Westbrook missing the layup and not getting back, you know, things of that nature um, that, that I really think caused OKC to, you know, just lose a lot of momentum. And, you know, I, I'm, I can only say what, what I would do, but I also thought OKC did a lot of switching in the half court, and uh, either their switches weren't tight enough or they were giving up back doors. And, and I probably wouldn't have done the switching. You know, hindsight's always twenty-twenty 20 or whatever the line is, but I just thought they did too much switching, and then you had bad uh, matchups. You know, Steph Curry being guarded by Stephen Adams. Well, Steph Curry's going to win that one on the perimeter 10 out of 10 times, and, you know, it, it's unfair for – Steven Adams to be left out there on an the island like that, but, you know, you live and you learn, and,
1: and for OKC, right. they, they'll have a long summer to, to live and learn from it. Let me ask you this. You talked about the switches. It seemed like the switches were working early on in, this, in the series, and almost like Golden State adjusted to it.
2: Uh, You know what, man? I, I would differ. I don't think the switches worked at all uh, for uh, OKC, because Golden State knew when the back cut off of him. And like like I said, I, I don't think the switches were tight enough for uh, OKC to guard it. You know, when you're trying to switch with guys that can shoot the basketball, you almost have to switch shoulder to shoulder as defenders. And it was just way too much space for, for my liking. You know, Billy Donovan might think different, and that's why he's in the NBA, and I, I'm a writer. But, you know, it, it's hard to guard that when you have shooters and men, they can react knowing that, yeah. all right, these gaps, there are a lot of gaps that I can just cut off to the basket. And you saw it. that. A lot of back doors
1: when, when they were there, Golden State was able to capitalize. And you did kind of walk away from that series thinking maybe the better team didn't necessarily win. I know Golden State won 73 games, but, man, talent for talent, you know, player for player, I think OKC probably probably is the most talented team in basketball. I mean, and I think they showed it, even though they lost the series. I think they kind of showed it on some level. But moving forward, you know, Kevin Durant obviously has some decisions to make this summer. To me, there's really only one decision. We're just talking about strictly and purely basketball. You got the you got the Nike money. You got all that money coming from from my standpoint. If you want to talk strictly basketball, there's no better place to be than OKC. Agree or disagree?
2: I I agree with you. Uh, I I think OKC gives him the best chance to be the focal point and win. Now, clearly, you know, he can go other places. I mean, you've heard talk to Golden State and San Antonio and and so so on and so on, even the Wizards. But, you know, I I agree with you. Uh, In the West, with what they have, you know, with him and Westbrook, um, I think that that's the best place for him Now, I do think they're probably still one uh, one shooter away yeah. from being a team that can take it over the top because you look at the Warriors, and they pretty much played five on four. Uh, you didn't have to guard Roberson on the perimeter, and that hurt them. Uh, You know, when they brought Waiters in, he was able to make a shot here and there, but he was still a little too nutty for my liking as well. I I think if – and I don't know what his situation is in Atlanta, but somebody like a Kyle Korver, to get somebody along those lines that teams have to respect out to the three-point line, it just opens everything else up for Durant, for Westbrook to do what they need to do in a one-on-one kind of setting. So. I think OKC okay, is the best place for him, but I'm not
1: Kevin Durant <laughs> for sure. And and you just never know what's going to go into his decision, you know, it's his personal life, his, you know, just everything. But at, at at the end of the day, if I think anybody, if if you're going to talk strictly basketball, there's no better place to be than you know uh, OKC. Okay, I want I want to ask you this now, um, before we get out of here, you know, we we we. Everybody's hard on LeBron James for, you know, obviously he came into the league and he had huge, huge expectations. But I, I look at – you look at Steph Curry's performance last night. He only scored 11 points. Only – I mean, last year didn't even win the finals MVP. And, you know, we got some people saying that Steph Curry is better than LeBron. And we got some people saying they'd rather have Steph than LeBron. But let me ask you this. I mean – should we come down harder on Steph, and especially if we start to t- if we're starting to talk about him in terms of being the best player in basketball, shouldn't we be coming down a little harder on him?
2: I don't think so. He's winning. But how, how can you come down hard on him if a guy's winning, he's doing what he needs to do? What, what is there to really critique on him? He's winning games. He's winning championships. He's winning MVPs. How, how can you be hard on him? He's done everything right, even from a standpoint of you you look at him, he's not getting into trouble with the law. And I know LeBron doesn't do that as well. But I think the biggest thing that separates him and LeBron, where LeBron gets a lot of criticism for it, LeBron gets a lot of criticism for one thing, the decision. And did he do it the wrong way? Maybe, but that's the only thing wrong is he's probably – Ever done that? Is pissed people off to, to a certain degree, but you know, I, I just think with, with Steph, you know, he, he's so tough, man. I mean, with, with everything, you know, I, I know we knock his defense, and like I, I've done that, but I think he was top five in the league in steals this year. Come on, it, it, you know, it's hard not to give that guy credit.
1: I, I guess, I guess, I'm talking from the standpoint that maybe I guess in reality we're almost, and, and not me personally, and I'm not even saying you, but there's a lot of people out there who I guess are unfairly criticized LeBron James. And, and I guess that's where I'm kind of going with it. Because, again, if LeBron would have had that type of performance, and, and even if they would have won, let's just say the Cavaliers or let's just say the Miami Heat won this, uh, the, the, the NBA title, the, the times they won it, just say Dwyane Wade won the, uh, the MVP, we would come down, not saying you or I, but a lot of people would come down hard on LeBron James because he didn't win the Finals MVP. I guess that's where I'm going with it. Oh no, for sure. But you know what? I say this for the people
2: that knock LeBron, and if I'm LeBron, this would be my line, man. It's a it's a rap song out right now, and and the hook is, if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. And it's that's true. true. So, you know, and I know he doesn't care. I know his people that's in his circle, they don't care. So why should he? He must be doing something
1: right. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt, no doubt. So just so we're clear before we get out of here, game two, you like uh, the the Cavaliers, and ultimately you still like the Cavaliers to get it done in six.
2: Yeah, I'm a man of my word, so I'm sticking with the Cavs in six.
1: Are you tempted to change it a little bit?
2: Nah, you know what, once I'm locked in on a decision, man, I'm pretty uh, much set with
1: it. Okay, okay, so Cavaliers and six. We'll see what happens, man, game two coming up Sunday. Marlon, pleasure talking to you, man. Can't wait to do it again. Always fun, my man. Look forward to doing it. Take care. Rider University assistant basketball coach Marlon Gil, as we discuss the NBA Finals and the NBA Finals Last night, a lot of people watched them. The highest-rated game ever on ABC. So a lot of people watched it. 19.2 million people tuned in to game number one of these finals. And you're going to get a lot of people watching these finals. This was the matchup that a lot of people were, were looking to. This was the matchup that a lot of people predicted, and this was the matchup a lot of people wanted, a rematch. And and we I, I think we wanted this rematch because we wanted the Cavaliers to be at full strength. We wanted to see what a full strength, what a Cavaliers team looked like full strength against this Warrior basketball team. We know last year they were depleted. We know last year Kevin Love wasn't there. We know last year Kyrie Irving wasn't there. So we want to see, and I think everybody wanted to see, whether or not the Cavaliers with a full squad can get it done against Golden State. Game one says Golden State, but, again, you still got to win three more times if you're the Warriors, if they want to win this series. So, again, don't get caught up in, in, in game one. Don't get, it's just game one of, of many, I believe. This is going to be a long series. I got the Cavaliers in six. I'm sticking with that. And my kind of my rationale is, you know what, Golden State took it to the limit to get 73. Golden State had to go all the way to the end. Game 7, after being down 3-1, to beat OKC. I think last night was a a byproduct of Golden State kind of on that high from Game 7 and on that high from the end of Game 6. They're on that high right now. I think that's what last night was about. Golden State still being on that high. And I, I think Cavaliers coming back in game two, I think they're going to be a much different team. I think they're going to be a better team. I think they're going to be a better team defensively. I think LeBron is going to be better. Even though he almost had a triple-double, I think he's going to be better. I think Kyrie Irving, even though he had 26 points and led everybody in scoring, he really didn't shoot the ball well from the field. I think he's going to be better. I really like the way Kevin Love played yesterday. I thought he played very well yesterday. He had a double-double. Played very well to me made some plays along the way. But they gotta get something from that bench. Delhi, Channing Fry, they gotta get something from their bench. If if I mean you can't if you're gonna get outscored forty five to ten by the Golden State Warrior bench, it, it it's it's gonna be a hard roll. Hard road. it, it is not you're not gonna be able to win. You gotta get more out of J.R. Smith as well. J.R. Smith didn't give you much last night. You know you got to get something out of him. You got to get more. You got to get more. And especially if you want to win this series, you got to get more out of your guys. Your role players got to give you more. Your big three in Cleveland did the job on paper. What combined sixty something points between those two, those three players. But you need that next man, and then that next man up. You need those, the, the, the other guys to, to step up. And they didn't get that last night. They didn't get those other guys stepping up, and it cost. Them. It most definitely cost him in this game. You know, you you got to get, you know, Thompson was decent, but J.R. Smith only gave you three points. You need more out of J.R. You need a little more out of J.R. You know, you, again, the bench gave you nothing. You didn't get nothing from that bench. So you got to get more from your bench. You got to get a little more from J.R. Smith if you want to be successful and win this series. You need more. I mean, again, LeBron was okay. Kevin Love was decent and Kyrie Irving was decent okay. But you got to get more from everybody else, especially on the road. On the road, you need your guys to step up. You need your role players to step up. That's what Golden State got last night. They got role players stepping up for them. That's why they're up 1-0. Up. Their role players stepped up. And so We'll see now what game two looks like for us. We'll see how the Cavaliers come back from what happened in game number. We'll see. We'll see how the Cavaliers respond. Because now, I mean, you don't want to go down too well. I mean, you don't want to do it. I don't think you want to go down too well. And I again, I have the Cavaliers at six, but I, I don't think they can win this series if they go down too well. Just my opinion. I don't think you can go down too well. I don't think you can afford to go down too well. We'll see what happens on game number two Sunday at Oracle Arena. You're listening to Go for it on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go for it, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out East, though. I will say that the Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference. To beat the Miami Heat, the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but it doesn't see. mean
0: anything in the playoffs
1: time. When the playoffs come, doesn't <laughs> mean anything. I, uh, was you, know I was trying to throw you. you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can have married women, we've seen, you You, you have a pedigree. Ah! We see what you can do. We've seen it. Oh, I would man, never bring man, my man, wife man, around too. I just don't man, know what you're capable now, of. Come on now. Come <laughs> on now. That's all right. That's not Rocky. Right. <laughs> that's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're Thanks. very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> And we're back. Go for it. BlogTalkRadio.com, talking sports, having fun doing it. Now we're about to bring in a guy who, who made a, had an interesting year, made an interesting, had an interesting year, went from the D League, went to a couple 10-day contracts, and ultimately landed in Brooklyn with the Nets and, and made a, a decent name for himself and ultimately earned himself a two-year deal from the Brooklyn Nets. So we're about to bring him in. Let's bring him in now, Brooklyn Nets guard, Sean Kilpatrick you guys doing, Sean? How are you? How you guys doing? I'm alright. I'm hanging in there. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's get right down to it, Sean. Last night, the NBA Finals, we saw it. The Golden State Warriors—they go up 1-0. Stephen Clay struggled, but they got big-time production from their bench. Talk about what you saw last night.
3: Um, it, it was huge, man. I mean, being able to see those guys like um, like Sean Livingston have a big game like that, and Really being able to see um, Steph and Clay play through the through the struggles that they had, but I mean, when you when you're able to pull out a win like that um, against a great team like that in Cleveland, I mean, it, it's something that's really huge. So I mean, that's a tough place to play at in the Oracle, and I think that um, that everyone in the league knows that. But I mean, it's going to be a very interesting interesting series.
1: So it, I believe it also is going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be a fairly long series. In your mind, who who you have winning coming into the series? Who who was going to take it in your mind? Um, I mean, it's I don't know, man. It's tough, man. I mean, you got
3: two of the one of the I mean, well, two of the team the best teams in these conference and being able to play against um those those type of teams like that and and I mean, in the league you you just never know what's going to happen. So I mean, I mean, who knows? It's like it's like a it's like a toss up now with, with with LeBron on one end and then you got Steph on the other. So and I mean like you got the role guys, the role playing guys, they they're doing a great job with their with their minutes. So I mean it's kinda of, it's it's a toss up in the air.
1: So you're not gonna give us a prediction? <laughs>
3: oh no no, I I
1: don't I don't know I don't know which one it is. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. We are talking to Brooklyn Nets guard, Sean Kilpatrick. Sean let's let's talk about you now, man. You you went for the D League you went from the Timberwolves, you went to the from the Denver Nuggets and ultimately you landed in Brooklyn and ultimately you stayed in Brooklyn. What made the net situation different for you? Um, I mean those guys they really gave me an opportunity and a chance to
3: really go out and play. I mean, it, we had a tough we had a tough year last year and um being able to have the um type of veterans I had and like um Thad Sad Young and, and Brooke Lopez and then on top of that the younger guys that was that was making sure that I was Motivated every day and just making sure I was bringing the same exact energy that they've been playing with throughout the whole year, even though we had a tough season. So, I mean, being able to play around these guys, I man, it's like a, it's like a dream come true. You're, you're really playing in the in the a, a, a city that's basically where you live at, and, and really being able right. to have this type of um, momentum behind me. I mean, I think it's something um, well
1: for the team and also for myself. Did that make this journey all the more sweeter? I know ultimately you want to be in the NBA no matter if it's Brooklyn, no matter if it's Los Angeles, anywhere you want to play in the NBA. But playing in New York, man, it's got to make it all the more sweeter. Yeah, I mean it, make, it makes it it makes it better for me because I mean now my, my my
3: family is able to come to each and every game and I am being able to just um just really sit there and and, and see my family at, like at every game and sharing me on. I mean I think that's something any kid Especially coming out of New York City, will be able to deal with. So I mean, um, I mean, it's, 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 it's bittersweet, like you said, and I really, and I really appreciate Mr. Marks really giving me an opportunity and a chance to really showcase what I can do. And I mean, he believed in me. He was one of the guys that that really firmly believed in me. And i and I mean, I, I, I can't say nothing, nothing else really about it.
1: Is it pressure? Is there a level of pressure being that your family is going to be there on a consistent basis? Um. Well, not really. I mean, I think I, I think I handle pressure pretty well. I
3: mean, really being able to really sit here and go through what I went through throughout the um, throughout the D League, throughout throughout high school, throughout college. I mean, I was one of the top guys in every on every team that I played on, and really being able to have that type of that type of pressure. I mean, I think college really more so it molded me to really be able to handle the pressure that I'm dealing with. So, I mean, I don't I don't look at it as pressure, and, and I mean, my teammates and my coaches they do a great job with with helping me. Um, not deal with the type of pressure that that a, a regular New York City kid would deal with. So I think it's really, um, really paying off um, when it comes to my to my teammates,
1: to my culture. We're talking to Brooklyn Nets guard Kilpatrick and Sean. I I'm just looking at your stat line, man. March and April, you know, you really proved that you belong in the league. You averaged 13 points per game in March. You had games of nine. You had a few 19-point games. You had a 25-point game as well. You bumped up your scoring three points per game in April, averaging 16 points per game. At that point in time, after the the month of March and after the month of April, and the way you balled out, did you finally believe after that that you really belonged to the NBA?
3: Um, I mean, I, I think I had that. I think I had that type of confidence in me. I would say coming out of college. I mean. We all know that um, that things didn't plan out the way that I wanted it to coming right. out of college, due to injuries and, and due to certain situations and circumstances that I was under. But really, being able to have that type of confidence, like like I ended the year. I mean, I think it was it, it was something that was really good for me, and I and I, I took it as if like I took it kind of personal because I mean in this league, that's how you got to kind of take it. Everyone's going to come at you at, at any given moment, and especially when you're when you're one of the um, the fresh guys on the team and everyone's looking at you like you're a new face on the team. And not only that, but around the league. And I think that's something that um, that really helped me a lot. I mean, I wanted to continue to keep cool with myself and letting people know that I deserve to be in this league. And I think more so my coaches and, and, and Mr. Marks, they they also believed in me as well. That's why they gave me the
1: opportunity in a minute to really go out there and showcase what I can do. Let me ask you this. And, and you know, I'm a Philadelphia 76ers fan. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I, you were – on the Sixers D League team, and I thought at some point you would get a call up from the Sixers, and I was very surprised that you didn't get a call up. Were you surprised by that? I mean, I was surprised by it, but I mean,
3: at the end of the day, teams they, teams they have different players that they want to that they want to go after, and not only that, but I mean, you never know how it would have been like with the with the two guards that they had there. I mean, they're kind of deep at the guard position, so me really being able to um, deal with the fact that I mean I didn't get a I didn't get a call up from them guys, and I mean, there's no harsh feelings or anything like that towards them guys. I mean, they're a great organization. They have great people there, great players, and really being able to just um, be in the facility with those guys. I mean, and really learn, like really learn the game and really see how it is on the professional level. I think that was something that helped me in the long run, and, and it made me a lot more comfortable than um, than I was beforehand. So, I mean, I I, I really appreciate those guys back in the um, Philadelphia organization because they gave. It gave me an opportunity to really sit here and get comfortable.
1: So let me ask you this now. What role do you expect to have with the Nets next season? Um, Any role they want me to.
3: I mean, I'm I'm one of the guys that's very versatile in in any type of um, situation that I'm dealing in. And, I mean, everyone knows that I'm a scorer, I mean, around the league, and everyone knows that I'm a shooter. But I just want to continue to keep progressing, um, especially during this offseason on my defense on rebounding, on, on playing – sometimes playing the point guard position because, I mean, there's going to be times when I'm thrown in the fire where i got to play the one because it, it can be anything. God forbid, knock on wood, one of our point guards get hurt and they say, Sean, you you got to bring the ball up. I mean, so I, I want to work on everything, anything that's going to help me get minutes on the floor and also um help me build my team up to to, to wins. And, I, and that's something that I want to
1: continue to keep doing. We're talking to Brooklyn Nets guard, Sean Kilpatrick. Do you feel like you're more of a two than a one? At the end of the day, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so.
3: I'm, I'm more so of a natural too because I mean, I've I've never really had the experience to play the um the play the one 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 guard position, especially um throughout the NBA level. I mean, I played it a couple games in college, and I mean, I, I felt it comfortable. I mean, I'm one of the guys that that makes smart decisions with the ball, so I mean, it's it's, it's never a problem. I mean, anything that Coach and, and Mr.
1: Marks want me to sit there and adjust to, that's what I'm going to do. So we look at the Nets now. They had a rough season last year, and they seem to be a team in transition at this point. They don't have their own first. They don't have their own first-round pick until 2019. You do have some cap space up there in Brooklyn. You did do have Brook Brook Lopez. You you do have Hollis Jefferson, and you have yourself who played well last season. But how should we view the Nets at this point? Um, it's a it's a fresh it's a
3: fresh new start. I mean, we have guys that's going to be um coming in and. And really sitting here making um making their mark into this league and also on toward this team. So I mean, I think everyone should more so look at it as a fresh new start. I mean, it's 82 more games until we um until we finally make sure that we um we're winning games so we can at least make the playoffs next year. And I mean, I think that's everyone's focus on this team. I mean, everyone wants to continue to keep getting better, especially especially the young guys that I'm sitting here working out with every day, and Chris McCullough, um Martell Brown, Rondé, and, and myself. So I mean. But that's something that the young guys want to continue to keep bringing to this team is, is more so energy. So it's going to be a long season, and I, and I really appreciate our fans, especially the way how um, things ended last year with our season. I mean, I know it didn't end the way how we they wanted it to, but I mean they stuck with us throughout the whole season. That's and I think that's that speaks volumes about Brooklyn basketball. Are you playing summer league? Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Vegas and um, play with those guys and um, Rondé and Chris. I mean, it's going to be great. To really um, be able to see how everything is going with um, with our new coach, Coach Atkinson. I mean, he's a great guy. He's a real. He's a very, very tough competitor, and I think that's something that he's instilling us um, within the young guys. So, I mean, us really being able to have those um, that that type of um, caliber coach like that, and you know, that's really major for our team, and especially with the decisions that they made on the
1: off season. So, I mean, it'll be a great look for us in the, in the summer in the summer league. So you had not you had an opportunity to talk to Coach Atkinson, sit down with Coach Atkinson and, and kinda of pick his brain a little bit?
3: Yeah, I mean it's it's very it's very rare that you find the head coach um in like in the gym with you during the offseason. season. I mean, he's been with us every day throughout the offseason, season and really having a guy like him, like I said before, that, that's really um player he he, he has the player player de- developmental program down packed. And I mean when you're dealing with a guy like him and and when you have someone with, with his knowledge of the game, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, he's a, he's a great guy off the court, and then especially a, a great guy on the court. So, I mean, any any player will gravitate to a, to a um, coach like that.
1: So you, you signed the two-year deal with the Brooklyn Nets back in March. I mean, the first year is completely guaranteed. How does it feel to have a, a little bit of security going into next season? Um, I mean, I don't – I never look at it as security. I mean, I always made a promise to myself
3: that once I got to the NBA, I always look at it as if like I'm a, I'm a guy on a um 10 day contract. And I mean, when you when you when you're thinking like that, and when you when you're really sitting there on edge like that, I mean, it's hard for you to lose at the end of the day because you're always gonna go hard on on whatever you do. So I mean, I think I think with me being able to be one of the guys that that didn't get drafted, he he more I more so take so like. I take it like the ten days is more so like a, a better approach that you should um, take the
1: take the games and especially the
3: practices as well. So, I mean, I think that's how I look at things now. I don't
1: look at it as if like I'm secure within my spot. So, do you feel like at some point in time in, in the near future that the Nets will run New York? Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we got another great team in, in New
3: York City as well. And um they just hired a great coach and they got great players over there as well. So I mean we, we don't know that. We we don't look at it like that. We just more so want to win games and we wanna just um continue to keep trying to build our resume to make that playoff sense. Were you a Knicks fan growing up? Um, no. No I wasn't. I wasn't a Knicks fan growing up, but um I mean it's it's kinda of hard to um to not to not really sit there and watch Knicks basketball because that's where you're from. So, I mean uh, no, nah, I wasn't a Knicks fan growing up, but, I mean, they always had great teams. And, I mean, I think that's something about about the league. You can't really sit there and look at it like, oh, these guys, they had a bad year, so just I don't, I don't want to deal with them. No, it's still great basketball at the end of the day. They just had some bad breaks. So, I mean, I think that's what a lot of fans, especially get kind of misconstrued with in this game.
1: So what happened, man? I mean, you grew up in New York City. Why not a Knicks fan? Um, I just never was. I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't grow up watching the Knicks
3: like that. I was more so of a Chicago Bull fan because of Michael Jordan. So, I mean, okay. he he more
1: so um, paved the way for, especially for guys like me. Right. Definitely. Definitely. So, so fans, make sure you support this man's journey. Hit him up on Twitter at Sean Kilpatrick underscore. Also hit him up on Instagram, same name Sean Kilpatrick underscore, and support all the great things going on with Sean Kilpatrick. Sean, a pleasure, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do this again. Thanks, Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Take care. All right, you too. Next guard, Sean Kilpatrick. Pleasure talking to him. And you know, you look at Sean Kilpatrick now, and he's 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 now has a level of security. Obviously, the one year's guaranteed, but he has a level of security. So now, you know, you go out there with that level of of security and maybe you can be free a little bit, just a little more free. But, I I mean, I I feel like, you know what, Sean Kilpatrick to me as a Sixers fan, you know, as I watched and watched and watched and just looking at his numbers in the D League, and I'm saying, okay, the Sixers, to me, their guard play wasn't that great. To me, they needed they could have used some guards, and I kept watching. I'm thinking to myself, okay, why can't Sean Kilpatrick get an opportunity? get an opportunity. Why can't he get an opportunity with the Philadelphia 76ers? The man has proven that he can put the ball in the basket. He put the ball in the basket in Cincinnati. He's putting the ball in the basket in the D-League. And given the opportunity to the NBA, he's putting the ball in the basket. So he's doing what he's always done throughout the course of his career, whether it's D-League, whether it's college, and now the NBA, he puts the ball in the basket. Dude can score. So I, I was wondering why he never got that opportunity with the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, it is what it is, and obviously he's made a name for himself in Brooklyn. Obviously he's playing well in Brooklyn, and obviously now he's got a contract and, and, you know, he's got a level of security. So everything worked out for Sean Kilpatrick at the end of the day. But I was always wondering throughout the course of the year, why couldn't he get that call up? Why couldn't he get that call up? And ultimately it didn't happen. But at the end of the day, you know what? Things worked out for Sean Kilpatrick. Pleasure talking to him. Now, interesting story. According to Doris Burke excuse me, of ESPN, can't even talk. According to Doris Burke of ESPN, reading the story off Bleacher Report, um, apparently Drizzy Drake you know, tried to flirt with the 50-year-old Doris Burke, gave her a heart sign, and... <laughs> You know, uh, maybe Doris could be a Cougar, and, you know, maybe she can get with Jersey. But anyway, she said in a, in a New York Magazine article that, quote, can I tell you something about last time I was there? I just could not believe this happened. Drake turned around. My seat at game six was right behind him, Makes a heart shape with his hands and points at me. I'm looking around behind me to see who's there, turn back to him, and then he points, and he does it again. I text it my daughter and said, you need to know Drake just did this to me. (laughs) That's interesting. That's interesting. I mean, maybe Drizzy Drake, maybe Doris Burke can make that thing work. Maybe. (laughs) But Drake, you know, obviously he was on, he was at, uh, he was there for a lot of those games in the playoffs. With the Toronto Raptors, and it was a big-time Toronto, Ra- obviously a big-time Toronto Raptors fan, and in watching that, you know he's got to be happy about the season that the Raptors had. I mean, it didn't end where he wanted it to end, but it, it ended in a decent place. It ended at a decent place, and you know it, it's farther than they've ever been. You know they haven't been any further than you know the first round in a long time. So they went pretty far, got to the conference finals, and won two games. So if you're, 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 the, you're the Toronto Raptors, your season was a success, and you've got to be happy if you're Drake about the success of your basketball team. you got to be happy, man. got to be pretty excited. The way they played, the way they, 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 they persevered, the way they won two game seven the way they overcame the the shaky play of Kyle Lowry in the first two rounds of of the playoffs. They overcame a lot to get where they wanted to go, and they got to the conference finals. And that's a good situation. That's a good situation. Let's go to Randall Cobb now. Randall Cobb has vowed to never wear a game microphone again. He believes definitely... Definitely He said quote I'll never be mic'd up again He believes That the NFL film's Microphone that he wore During a playoff game last season Caused him to have a lung injury He believes it caused him to have a lung injury He said quote This microphone theory Isn't anything new It's something we talked about plenty of times There's no way to prove it but there's no way to disprove it either. He went on to say, I don't feel comfortable being mic'd up, and I will say this. Actually, that was Aaron Rodgers who made those comments. Aaron Rodgers pretty much co-signed what he said. He said he doesn't feel comfortable being mic'd up. And, you know, I will say this. Randall Cobb had a serious injury last year in the playoff game, and I believe that he would as well, and the team that, That was caused by him being mic'd up. said that on a podcast, uh, A.J. Hawk's podcast. Why don't you come on this podcast, Aaron Rodgers? Discount double check, baby. But anyway, anyway, Aaron Rodgers went on to say he fell on his mic and pack, and he had an injury to his insides that kept him out of the game. Probably would have kept him out the rest of the playoffs. And the puncture spot was directly adjacent to his mic pack. So this this interesting, and and quite frankly, if if, if I'm a player, and, and I believe on some level that a microphone can could could do that or would cause me injury, I too wouldn't wear it. I mean, I wouldn't wear it. It's not worth it, because you only have so much, you only have so many games in you, in your body in the National Football League. You'll be here today, gone tomorrow. So because of the uncertainty of the National Football League, because of the brutality of the sport, you got to be smart. And so if getting mic'd up is going to gonna mess up your lung and, and just cause injuries, it's not worth it. It's not worth it, especially if you believe without a shadow of a doubt that mic, being mic'd up is what caused you to get injured. That. I wouldn't wear it. I wouldn't wear it either, Randall. I'm with you, man. Don't wear it again. Take it all. Don't ever put that thing back on. Mess your career up. Don't, don't do that. Stay away from that stuff. No good. Not good. Not good at all. Can't win with him. Can't win without him. Can't win with that. So on and so forth. But anyway, you know, that that's interesting. I think it's a very interesting thing. And, and you wonder if other players around the league will be like, you know what? I'm cool off that mic. I don't want that mic. I'm cool. I'm good. You wanna be mic'd up? Nah I'm good. You know having a Randall Cobb? I'm good. No thanks. I'm I am i am cool off that. You you can you can wear it. I ain't gonna wear it. I won't wear it. You can wear it. <laughs> so you wonder how players around the league are gonna react after this revelation by Randall Cobb. You wonder. Johnny Manziel. And it's, you know, to, as the world turns when it comes to Johnny Mandel. Johnny Mandel. The, the the guy apparently was missing at one point. Now he's on airplanes getting tattoos and so on and so forth. But I mean, at this point in time, Johnny, it's time for Johnny Mandel to get his life. He's, I mean, he's for riding on a plane. This man needs to get his life. You know, he's it's Purchasing grills for his teeth, you know he's tattooing his hands. I mean, this this dude needs to get his whole life. He needs to get his whole life at this point in time. Now I don't know what's going on with this guy. I mean, the reality is he might have a obviously he has a problem, but the also reality is you you know you, he was a rich kid, man. He got a lot, he had a lot. His whole life he had a lot, and when you're used to having a lot, you get you're spoiled. He's spoiled. The spoiled little kid. We'll get back to Johnny Menzel. Let me give you this. The second out. Go for starts right now. Final half hour, go for it. Starting right now in this half hour, we're going to be joined by Bears offensive tackle John Kling. You know, Kling Kong. You know, John signed with the Bears after being undrafted. But now, you know, he has the opportunity to make the Bears, and, you know, we'll see what happens. Bears offensive line is, is not the greatest. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, you know, we'll see what happens. And, and so, and so, Again, Johnny Manziel, it, it it's just time, man. It's time for you to get your whole life. You've you got to get your life, man. And, you know, he, 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 you got to be better, man. I mean, it's get help. Get in rehab. I, I mean, I'm just tired of seeing you everywhere. I'm tired of seeing you at the parties. I'm tired of seeing you. Looking skinny. I'm tired of this, man. I'm tired of tattoos on the airplanes. I'm tired of grills. I'm tired of all these things when it comes to Johnny Manziel. Tired of it. Still partying. Hanging out with Justin Bieber. Still got that domestic violence uh, rap going on. No one's interested in you right now, Johnny. Get your life. Get your life. Get your whole life. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if, in fact, he can get his life. We want him to get his life. We need him to get his life. And, you know, just look at Johnny Mandel and, you know, look at um, kind of the what was expected from him from a lot of people. I mean, his life has never been the same since he won the Heisman. I mean, his life has took off, and and it just took off in a wrong in a downward spiral spiral on some level, it just took off, and it seems like after it took off, he just hasn't gotten control of it and because he's gotten hasn't gotten control of it at this point in time, it's a tough situation it It's definitely a tough situation for him. he needs help, you know he was again missing last week, you know, nobody knew where he was at i mean he really's got to get his help. That he needs, if he wants to be a productive citizen, forget it. Forget an NFL player. If he wants to get a, and be a productive citizen, it's just as the world turns. Do 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 do. I mean, come on. Was that the Young and the Restless? One of them. Anyway, get your life, man. Get your life. Get your whole life. And just, man, change some things. But anyway, it is what it is. Hopefully he gets the help that he needs. We're about to bring in a guy now. OTAs are going on around the NFL. Teams preparing and prepping for the upcoming NFL season. Man, it seemed like the season just ended. We're, what, in June? Before we know it, it would be mini camps, training camps. Before we know what the season, we've got preseason, and before we know, it, we'll have the season start, and we'll have NFL football back again. Our Sundays will be, you know, good again. Not that saying they're bad now, but they'll be, they'll be better. They'll, you know, they'll get better because the NFL will be back. So it's coming. Give it some time, but they're preparing now with OTAs, and you know, we sat down with Bears offensive tackle John Kling. Let's bring him in now. Bears offensive lineman. John Kling. John, how are you?
0: I'm doing good. How are you?
1: Doing well. Thanks for joining us. And John, you're going through OTAs now. First and foremost, how are things going for you thus far?
0: Things are going really well. You know, I love the team. Um, a, lot of, a lot of really good things happening. And uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, earning the spot. So let me ask you this now.
1: Just I know you've just gotten a little taste of professional football at this point with the OTAs and everything. But to you, what has been the biggest difference from college to the NFL?
0: For me, it's, it's definitely been the speed. You know, you talk to guys that have gone before you, and they'll always say the, speed, the speed's the biggest thing. And now actually living through it, I can see what they mean.
1: Right was it was it was it shocking to seeing the speed or was it something you were somewhat prepared for?
0: It was something that I was expecting, but you know whenever obviously it's it's a big jump for anyone, so just coming in and seeing right. the speed of these guys now is is definitely an eye opener
1: okay so thus far you know we 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 see kevin white is back we we see Jake Cutler out there. What, what what have you seen from the Bears team thus far during these OTAs?
0: Everyone's just, everyone's really hungry, you know, to win, and that's a huge part. And I think we're going to see good results in the season. We're, we're
1: talking to Bears offensive lineman John Kling. So, just thus far, what you've seen, you're, you're pretty impressed by what the Bears are, are doing in terms of their roster, in terms of the personnel. Absolutely. So so let me ask you this now, John, and and when you went undrafted, did you have any other offers out there?
0: Um, I I had a couple, but I I talked talked it over with my agent, and we both agreed that the Bears were the best fit for me at the time.
1: Was there anything specific about the Bears that made them a good fit for you?
0: Um, Coaching was obviously big. Um, and then, you know, just, I just, I like the team and I liked the direction they were heading. So it was sort of a no brainer.
1: So, so let me ask you this now, John, during your senior season, you made the switch from the right tackle to left tackle. Talk about mm-hmm. that in transition and talk about how that's helped you, uh, thus far.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I played, uh, left tackle, I saw basically up until that junior year when, when they moved me, and I think that that move, and you know, obviously it benefited me now, but um, it was it was challenging at first. But you know, being able to play both sides and being fairly confident in my abilities on both sides is definitely a big plus.
1: Do you have a preference, the right, the left, or doesn't really matter for you?
0: No, I I used to. I used to like the left, but I've I've been working in the off not the off season, but you know, in the time leading up and beyond from the draft, I've been working so much on, on being able to play both sides that I it doesn't I don't really have a preference anymore.
1: We're talking to Bears offensive lineman, John Kling and John, you've earned the nickname or you got the nickname. Kling Kong. Sounds fitting for a six <laughs> seven three 300- hundred Plus pound dude, but how'd you get the like? How'd you get this nickname?
0: Actually, it was given to me when I was a whole lot younger. My dad, uh, he coached football when I was, you know, in middle, middle school age, middle school, elementary school age, and I used to like to, uh, I used to build with those with the pads. I used to, you know, build forts, typical, you know, little kid stuff. And his players all, oh, King Kong. And it, it just kind of stuff throughout the years.
1: You like it? Oh, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's definitely worse new out there. This one's solid. This one's solid and yeah. it's fitting. It, it works. Absolutely. How, how was it, man, growing up being, you know,
0: you've always been a big
1: guy. How was it growing up being a big
0: guy? Yeah, I, I was always, I was always bigger than most of the kids. Um, but up until my my sophomore year, I was, you know, not average sized, but but not not six seven size. I was about six to 220 pounds. So you know, a good okay. size, but not, you know, what I am now. And then after after that sophomore season, I kind of uh, I jumped, I grew about five inches, put on fifty pounds. Wow. Yeah. That's a big jump.
1: The head
0: is grown into. <laughs> Growing into that uh, frame was not was not easy. <laughs> I mean, I'm a five
1: eight guy, and and so clothes finding clothes are fairly easy for me. Six seven three hundred mm. plus pounds. How is it finding clothes for a guy your size?
0: I I got to get most of my stuff online. I can't okay. I can walk in somewhere and find clothes. I can't really walk in anywhere and find shoes. So you know, growing up, you know. East Bay's kind of been my, my go-to place for shoes. <laughs>
1: What's your shoe size?
0: Uh, sixteen. My goodness. Wow.
1: <laughs> Man, large and in charge. Yes, sir. A- as a whole, what do you think you need to do to make this
0: fifty-three-man uh, roster? Um. You know, one of the biggest things for me right now is is learning the playbook. You know, because once you learn the playbook, in in my in my opinion, once you learn the playbook, you can play faster than than what you took without it. Uh, so that's that's really okay. big for me. Um, working working on um, you know my pass sets is another big thing for me. You know, you have all these unbelievable edge rushers now in the NFL that's something right. that I'm working not a lot. Being an undrafted player, obviously it's an uphill
1: battle to make any team in the National Football League. Uh, in terms of the challenge, do you feel like, what, what's your mindset as you approach this whole thing?
0: I, I've never been one of those guys that's been you know, highly touted. So coming in as a free agent, it's, you know, I, I relish the challenge.
1: And and it's, it's going to be a big-time challenge, but based off of talking to you and, and, and hearing the way you're talking, you seem to be up for this big-time challenge in, in terms of trying to make the Bears. For sure. <laughs> so what's next for you now? you you got the OTAs and, and everything. Are you doing anything different, you know, in terms of your workout to prepare uh, for this big-time challenge? Uh,
0: yeah, just really – Staying healthy is, is such a huge thing because I mean, you, you know, you can't make the club in the tub. That that whole saying, well, it's definitely <laughs> true. So you know, staying healthy, and staying, you know, mobile, such a huge part now. For
1: sure, for sure. And, and to your point, you're right. You a good part of ability is availability. So you, you definitely have to do what you got to do to stay healthy and be healthy. Let, let me ask you this. Eat your eating habits. Have you changed that as well?
0: Um, yeah, I, I've never really, you know, in my mind, eaten poorly. You know, being in Buffalo, you have some great food, so it can be tough sometimes. <laughs> but, um, it's, I haven't really changed too much. I mean, the food, the food here is, is you know, pretty good too. But, um, I, no, I, I mean I don't think I've really changed my my eating habits, you know, drastically. Right. You miss Buffalo? I, I miss. I definitely miss the people, you know, family, friends. Right.
1: You're adjusting well to the to Shy Town, the Windy City.
0: Oh, absolutely! Everyone here has been been great. Nothing but nothing but support.
1: So, fans, make sure you support this man's journey as he as he tries to make the Chicago Bears and do some big-time things in the NFL, hit him up on Twitter at KlingKong70. That's KlingKong70. And support all the great things going on with John Kling. Before we get out of here, is there any advice that you've gotten along the way that, that you look to, that you point to as, you're, as you go through this challenge?
0: Um, you know, it's just probably my dad. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't matter how you start or where you start. It's about where you finish and how you finish. So that's just that's kind of been a mantra of mine for a long time now.
1: You finish strong at Buffalo, and hopefully, you can finish strong in the National Football League. John, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing yeah, but the for... best of luck moving forward.
0: Let's do it again. Absolutely, it sounds good to me. Thank you for having me,
1: John Kling. Offensive tackle for the Chicago Bears. Pleasure talking to him. Wish him nothing but the best of luck as he journeys to, well, he's in the NFL. Now he has an opportunity. So if we see if he can make the best and the most of this opportunity. I want to go back um, to the NBA, and I want to go back to the OKC Thunder. I mean, a team last week, you know, had a 3-1 lead. I mean, everybody had, last week, you know, we were talking We were talking with Russell Westbrook, you know, playoff, uh, the MVP of the playoffs at this point in time, you know, big-time player, better than Steph. I mean, we, we, we all said it. We we all talked to talk about Westbrook. We bigged him up. We bigged the OKC Thunder up. And, and we all thought, not all of us, but a, a good amount of us thought that maybe OKC was going to advance to the NBA Finals. But what a difference the week makes. What a difference. And you look at what happened. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, more so Clay Thompson, woke up in game six. Woke up in the game six. And OKC, you know, the way they've done throughout the course of the season, they wet the bed. They wet the bed, man. And, and, you know, they were a turnover machine down the stretch. They wet the bed, and ultimately they lost. And, uh, you know, we talked to Marlon Guild earlier in that first hour. And, and he said, you know, he still felt like OKC was the most or the more talented team. And, and quite frankly, there is a lot of truth to that. There's not many players or, excuse me, many teams better than OKC. I, 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 and they probably are the most talented team in basketball. And, and even with that being said, as Marlon pointed out, and I, and I most wholeheartedly agree, they, need, they still need another guy, another shooter. And that, that speaks to the greatness of OKC as well, I mean OKC and and their ability, man, the, the way they shoot the three point shot, I mean they shoot three point shots ridiculous, you know the way they shoot shoot the three point shot is absolutely crazy, man, I mean the, the Steph and Clay and those guys, I mean it's crazy, and the how they shoot it, I mean it's just it's just crazy, you know they they have unlimited range. Probably the greatest shooting backcourt of all time. Some say the greatest backcourt of all time. I don't know if I'm prepared to go there. I don't know if I'm prepared to go there. Not yet. But I can understand how some would be prepared to go there. I'm not. Not yet. But I will say this. I will say this. This is a team now that you know, OKC, you look at this team now as they head into the offseason, obviously the biggest question is what happens with Kevin Durant and what he decides to do. You know, a lot of people believe that ultimately he'll sign a one-year deal or a two-year deal with an with a opt-out in the second year and come back next year with the opportunity, well, get through next year with the opportunity after next year to make $200-plus plus million I mean, right now he could make, if he signs now $27 million, Per year but if he waits another year he can ultimately Get 38 per year that's an Additional 11 million dollars and That's what different 50 60 70 million Over the life of the contract So you're talking about some huge huge Money out there for Kevin Durant Always have almost already has a 300 Million Nike deal 300 plus million dollar Nike deal and so You add that to the possibilities Of maybe 200 plus million You know there's a lot of money out there to be made By Kevin Durant And, and so Obviously, you can make the most money in OKC. Obviously, and we don't know if he has any triggers in his contract that maybe, hey, you go to a bigger market, maybe you get more money in that Nike deal. I don't know. But here's the one thing we we do know: we know we do know the best opportunity for Kevin Durant to win is OKC. Other than the Spurs, the Warriors, and even the maybe the Cavaliers, there that that's it. I, th- I think Golden State is right there. And obviously they've proven that they can beat the Spurs in the seven-game series. They've proven that they can give Golden State all they could handle. And, and so they've proven that they can play with the best teams in this league. I mean, they beat a 67-win Spurs team and almost beat a 73-win um, Golden State team. So they- they've proven that they have the talent to compete with any team in the National Basketball Association. The reality of it is, over the past few years, there have been injuries whether it's been Abaka who missed the first two games against the Spurs a few years back, whether it's Westbrook who went down. I mean, whether it's a year ago where both Westbrook and KD went down and didn't even make the playoffs. So this is a team at full strength. They can beat anybody, and I think we've seen it. They can beat anybody. At full strength, they can beat anybody. And so if I'm Kevin Durant, I think I'm going to stick around. I, I don't know, again, basketball-wise, and we're just talking strictly basketball-wise, you know, everybody's got their reasons why they do certain things. Everybody has reasons. But to me, if, we, if the reason, if we're talking strictly on a basketball, if we're talking strictly basketball, to me, there's no where else for you to go. I mean, it just really nowhere else for you to go. Basketball-wise, again, other than San Antonio or Golden State, there's really nowhere else for you to go where you're going to be in position to win a championship. And you could argue that maybe Kevin Durant's one of the reasons he didn't win because game six, he was just taking bad shot after bad shot after bad shot. He He had an awful game, an awful game six. And, you know, Westbrook was turning the ball over at the end of game six K D was turning the ball over at the end of game six. It fell apart. It fell apart. And, you know, you knew after game six it's gonna be it was very difficult. It's gonna be very difficult for Golden State to lose at Oracle. And you knew it was gonna be very difficult for the Thunder to go into Golden State and beat the Warriors in game seven. In reality, in reality, history tells you game seven always favored a home team. And that's what happened. The home team, the Golden State Warriors, Steph, Clay, they overwhelmed OKC. The three was better than the two. The three was better than the two. and Because the three was better than the two, ultimately that three won out. And ultimately that three has led Golden State going on and OKC going home. And so now, again, it's all about what you're going to do what you're going to do in this offseason. Andre Roberson, he gave you some good minutes, but you, you needed another score. He, he didn't give you that, what you needed. You needed another score. Roberson didn't give you that. And you need another score. Deion Waiters played better in the playoffs, but wasn't consistent. You need that consistent guy. So you've got to find it if you're okay. So you've got to find... Another guy, another guy actually is James Harden. He's that other guy, except he's in Houston, except you chose Abaca essentially over James Harden. And at the time, I was almost in agreement. I was basically in agreement with you. At the time, I really was. I didn't have much of a problem what you did in terms of going Ibaka over James Harden. But I think you could use a James Harden. Jamal Crawford's an interesting guy. He's a free agent. He's an interesting guy. I mean, six-man-a-year award winner. I mean, the guy can shoot. He's an interesting guy. And, and a guy that might, you know, it's not going to be as expensive. Kevin Martin's an interesting guy you might want to look into. May not be that expensive. Barbosa's is going to be a free agent guy. Maybe you can look into as well. So I'm just looking at guys who may not cost them that much. Because I think you look at OKC. I think you're you need another guy, just another shooter, another shooter. Because I mean it. it it's difficult to contend. With OKC and the way they, sh- I mean, Golden State and the way they shoot the basketball, that that's hard to contend with, man. The way those boys shoot that basketball, it's re- it's ridiculous at at times. It's just it's video game like. It's absolutely video game like the way those boys shoot the three. It's like, dude, this is like a video game. You know, I, I you know you watch video games, man. You get frustrated. Because, you know, those guys, the way those guys make the shots in 2K, you're like, man, this guy, come on, he can't do that in real life. And, and we're seeing now in real life Golden State make those threes. But game two, I expect Cleveland to come back. I expect everybody to be a little better. I expect a little more production from the bench. I expect Cleveland to go back uh, uh, to Cleveland, tied at one. But I think, I think game two is a must win for Cleveland. They go down 2-0, I think this series is a wrap, just my opinion. Muhammad Ali. At this point, there are reports that now he's been placed on life support and he may not have long. And it's, you know, you look at Ali, sad. It's it's sad to see young Ali and it is sad to see uh, the, the the Ali with Parkinson's who, you know, pretty much taking away his ability to do a lot of great things. A lot of great things he was doing in the past in terms of his talking in terms of just moving around and everything. I mean, obviously you can still do great things uh, with diseases and everything and things of that nature. You can still do it. But you look at old Ali and just look at young Ali, and I think you there's a level of sadness. There's just a level of sadness because, you know, you're just sad because of what he was what he was, that that brings a level of sadness to you. But now, I mean, he is 74 years old. And, and so at, at some point in time, you know, some, it happens. But you don't want to see it to happen. There, there's just certain people in this world that you don't want to see death. You, you don't want to see death, obviously, with your, your, your parents. You don't want to see death with your parents, your loved ones. More so your parents, I think. Your parents and your significant out there. You don't want to see death come upon them. You don't. But when you look at, in terms of famous sports figures, in terms of famous entertainers, Muhammad Ali is a guy you're, you don't want to see die. The guy you want to see stick around this thing, this thing they call life forever. But at this point, and, and we've seen over the years the body is broken down. He's not the same man. Just not. And so ultimately, it's just sad to see. Because, like I said, it's we just sad to see because of what he was. We we'd never like to see people who you just don't like to see it. But I look at it now and, and, and it just seems like the the more you read the stories the more you realize that the end could be possibly near for the great muhammad ali that just, just his, his work in his community you know the the things he did in terms of uh, uh you know fighting the war not fighting the war per se but you know re- resisting and and standing on his principles you may not agree with what he did you may not agree with his ideas his thoughts his beliefs <laughs> But he he, he he stood up for something. And he was a man that stood up for the cause, that stood up for his people. And you can't knock anybody for that. Might be wrong. His convictions could be wrong, and I'm not saying they were. But it could be wrong than some other people out there. But at the end of the day, he did stand for something. He did stand for something. And so hate to see it. he was more than a boxer. He was more than an athlete. He was a cultural icon. So hopefully Muhammad Ali can fight this thing they call death. Don't want to see the man suffer, but hopefully he can fight this thing they call death. I want to thank Sean Kilpatrick for stopping by. I also want to thank Bears offensive tackle John Kling and Ryder university assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill. You can listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com, sites PK where you can listen to this show and other great shows. So follow us on Twitter at GoForItGant. Hit us up on our Facebook page at GoForItGant and support all the great things going on with GoForIt. So for everybody here, GoForIt. We hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care. Bye.